Support for this podcast comes from Staffing Futures. Nowadays, recruitment websites need to do more than just validate your business. Websites are your digital front door where new clients and great talent should come knocking. Did you know that 80% of recruiters don't even measure the return on investment from their website? Your website should be embedded into your recruitment process, driving your team's productivity, business growth, and ROI. It's time to let technology do the hard work. So do you want your recruitment website to stand out from the crowd, generate new business leads, and placement revenue? If that's a yes, then talk to Staffing Future, the recruitment website and technology experts. Get a free recruitment website and technology stack review, as well as a summary of where your main competitor is ranking against you in the search engines. Visit www.staffingfuture.com slash rules. That's www.staffingfuture.com slash rules. What great ideas are so close within your grasp? Seeing other points of view, anticipating change, considering multiple possible turnouts, acknowledging uncertainty, searching for compromise. We're going to talk about how to get over those limiters of innovation so that you can extract better thinking from yourself and your team. So let's talk about how to win the future. This is the Marketing Rules Podcast. Do you know the new rules of marketing? Here is your host, James Whitelock. Data is now the cornerstone of recruitment, and interpreting this data could define the future of the labour market. Joining me this week is Matt Siegelman, CEO of Burning Glass Technologies. Burning Glass crunches through millions of jobs data per day, and this allows them to identify trends in skill shortages and where the market is heading post-COVID. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the Thinking Circles and Marketing Rules podcast. Uh, I'm joined today by Matt Siegelman, CEO of Burning Glass Technologies. Uh, thank you for joining me today, Matt. It's great to be with you. Um, I know it's very early over there in, in, in kind of Boston. So again, I'm, it's, it, I'm grateful for you to kind of taking the time to get up early. Um, Matt, for some of the people who might not be aware of you or kind of Burning Glass, could you just kind of give us a quick kind of overview of, of you know, the, the little bit of potted history of Burning Glass, yourself, how you came to start the business and, uh, and where you are today? Absolutely. So it's, it's interesting, you know, where we are today, we, we are, um, uh, we like to say that our work is in mapping the genome of the job market, which sounds kind of sexy and cool. Beyond saying, sounding sexy and cool, it's actually a very helpful metaphor for the work we do. We go out and, and uh, crawl millions of jobs each day, um, several million from around the world, um, and also hundreds of millions of people's career histories each year as well from around the world. And, and essentially, um, what we've done is we've created our own language of jobs and skills and the like. And when we've done that, we've put all that together, literally billions of data points about the job market. You can understand what moves the market, um, which ways more often skills um, than the jobs themselves. And so you can kind of see how jobs are changing, how the skills of jobs are changing, how they differ from place to place. So, so it gives us this kind of um, genetic map um, that's very helpful in understanding um, where demand is, where demand is going. Um, it's not where we started, as you can imagine, and uh, to your question. So um, uh, when we first started working together a long time ago, uh, our, uh, you know, where Burning Glass had started was um, in being able to parse CVs and search across 
databases. Um, and that continues to be uh, a set of work that we do today. Um, we're proud of, of serving most of the large uh, HRMSs and, and recruitment agencies around the world use our technologies to the core, uh, whether you're worked in Workday, LinkedIn, all use our data and use our, uh, and use our engines. But what we came to realize, okay, it's great to be able to ingest all those CVs that you receive. It's great to be able to search across them. Um, but several years in, um, we started in 2002. So if you see all the, for those, um, my gray hair, uh, <laughs> Didn't always used to look that way. Um, it was all burning glasses. We've all, we've all got them now, Matt. Trust me. <laughs> it's either burning glasses fault or it's or it's my wife's fault, and I think it probably I'm safer on option A than option B. Uh, <laughs> in any case, um, you know, several years in, um, which itself was still about a dozen years ago, we stepped back and we said, okay, so we've developed this really great engine for being able to ingest CVs being able to field all the information, put it in your database and search it. If we've done such a good job at it, then recruitment should be a problem solved. Um, now, uh, all of the people listening to this podcast know that recruitment is anything but a problem solved. Um, it's a huge point um, that we all struggle with every day. Um, and hopefully uh, some of the people on this call uh, make a, a few quid solving on, on a day-by-day day day basis, but it's not easy. And so when you step back and have that kind of realization, you have, to real, you have to sort of ask yourself, okay, why have I not solved this? Have I developed the better, the better mousetrap for being able to, uh, to, to, to um, power a lot of uh, the day-to-day processes of, of recruitment, then I should have solved this. If I haven't, then either my technology is not very good um, or I'm solving the wrong problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm always a believer. I think if you're really candid with yourself, the technology is never good enough. Um, so notwithstanding that we had the better mousetrap, it um, could always be better. But actually, what we came to think, realize is that we were solving the wrong problem. Um, most of recruitment today happens on the spot market. That is to say, you, know, you, you get a, uh, a job wreck and you go and you try to fill it and with whatever talent happens to be available that given day of the week. Same is true, by the way, in the other direction. Um, right now, there's, there's a million Britons who have lost their jobs in, in this pandemic. Now, all of a sudden, they need to go and find a job. How do you find the right job? Same problem. It's a spot market problem. What jobs mm-hmm. happen to be available on this given day of the week? Um, you know, companies don't buy any commodity that's important to them on the spot market, except the number one factor of production in most industries, which is their labor. Um, and so realize, wait a second, uh, maybe the problem here really is that we're solving the wrong problem. Uh, now, I'm not a believer that, you know, it's easy to say, to look at the world and say, when, when you see inefficiencies that, uh, well, people are dumb and that's why they're not thinking ahead and planning. Well, people are not dumb. Companies are not dumb. Um, there's a reason why this isn't happening. And it's because um, the data at that point didn't exist to be able to inform people to to be more proactive and to think ahead and to plan. Um, and so, you know, if you're trying to negotiate a market without any data about where demand is, where supply is, and um, it's going to be very difficult to find the two. And so as a result, you're left with flypaper recruiting um, or, or, or the classic, you know, uh, spray and pray or whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, you can only move beyond flypaper when you know where the flies are. 
Um, you can only move, you know, as a fly, you can only move to be more effective when you know where the paper is. I actually probably don't want to get stuck in the paper. So let's end the metaphor there. <laughs> but so what we realized is, wait a second, we've got the industry leading technology for being able to uh, parse CVs, parse jobs and the like. What if we go out and collect um, all the jobs that we can possibly find? Um, and it was a sort of light bulb moment for us. Um, and uh, really, uh, I think, has changed a lot of things for ourselves and, and I think for the industry as well. Um, so just give us some of the kind of like the, the sheer volumes of, of kind of data that you're collecting on a day, on a day basis. I mean, is it literally in the millions of jobs per day? It is literally in the millions of jobs per day. We uh, collect several million jobs per day from around the world, um, in about 33 different countries. Uh, uh, and, and off of kind of all kinds of different sites. So that would be, is that job boards and corporate sites and across every, every type of kind of wherever a job is sitting? The majority of the sites that we visit are, um, are in fact, corporate sites. Um, so we find that... Um, you know, if you want to be able to get the highest fidelity information, you need to know where you need to actually go to the source. Um, and as we know, it used to be if you went, you know, we ran the tape several years ago, most um, companies were still going through uh, rec- recruitment consultancies uh, to represent themselves exclusively. Now, more and more companies are actually going direct to market. Um, and so you can find the jobs there and with a good deal of fidelity. That's important because while we go to, um, you know, pretty much any job board you can think of, um, as we all know, um, you know, you post a job on, on a job board, um, you've paid your freight, um, you're not necessarily going to be diligent about taking it down um, to wind up with a lot of dead jobs. Um, it's also often hard to figure out who the employer is and to get the kind of mm-hmm. that you really need um, in order to, um, you know, to make it work. So you also said that, that you kind of came to the realization that of all the kind of kind of data points that you were collecting, that skills was now become the most important and the most kind of um, indicative of the future of the, and the trend of the, of the labor market. Um, that's exactly right. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. The job market is itself a bit of a misnomer. Um, the job market's not moved so much by jobs as visited by skills. Let me give you an example. Um, so, you know, we're all familiar with, with marketing managers, either we, you know, we, we count them as friends, count them as truth <laughs> them. Um, it's, it's generally, I think, you know, in most, uh, most areas, the most common professional job that's out there, um, you know, sort of, um, super easy to find the market for them clears pretty quickly. Um, now all of a sudden, and we sort of think about the marketing managers, you know, they're right brain people. That's why they went into marketing management, right? You know, okay, you understand consumer psychology, you can speak to consumers, you can develop the right messages, um, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, now all of a sudden we want our marketing manager to be able to manipulate customer data. Um, okay, right brain person, left brain skill set. Um, and that often can lead to really significant differences in cost and time to fill. A marketing manager who has something as basic as SQL skills, right? I mean, you know, again, marketing managers are as common a professional job as there are, as, as you can find. 
SQL skills are about as as common uh, and plain vanilla and ICT skill as there is. Um, you put those two things together, and now all of a sudden you're going to cost yourself about twenty to twenty five percent salary premium. You're going to increase the length of time to fill that, that job by about a third, um, and um, and you're taking two sets of things, just that one skill, um, which suddenly challenged the role. And the problem with um, you know, how we've thought about recruiting in the past is we, we haven't necessarily had those kinds of insights um, and um, haven't had those insights in how we price a role. Uh, we haven't had those insights in terms of where you go and look. Um, and as a result, um, we're often um, sort of banging on the table and saying, why can't I find a marketing manager with SQL? Well, um, because marketing manager with SQL isn't the same thing as a marketing manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, mean, that, I mean, that's, that's I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, and, and you kind of never, I've never thought about it. As a person who's in marketing and who doesn't have any SQL skills, well, yeah, one or two SQL skills maybe very, very light. Um, I mean, I'm thinking maybe I need to kind of upskill my, my ICT skills, basically. <laughs> Um, here's, I've got a couple of questions that are all related um, and we'll take them in chunks. So I, I, what I want to know is, is what have you seen in the data kind of prior, during and post kind of COVID? What's it kind of, what, what has been happening during these kind of last six months and where do you think it's going? And the other kind of part of that is, is there a difference on a global scale when, as opposed to when you get down to kind of country scale and maybe even down to, I don't know, state or, or, or whatever, you know, when you get kind of further down, um, what, what's your data showing you uh, kind of through the last kind of six months and kind of moving into the end of the year? Yeah, so um, as, um, as all of us know by now, so this would be sort of the, the biggest non-insight of the day. Uh, obviously, this has been a brutal um, hiring market, um, brutal for, for everyone involved in it, and certainly job seekers, um, but also um, you know, recruiters as well um, who are dependent on those kinds of hiring transactions. Um, if you look at, and, and uh, unfortunately, I'm, I'm sorry to report that, um, that Britain's been particularly um, uh, um, hard hit. Um, so this has been a, um, not a great time to be a recruiter in the UK. Mm-hmm relative to other parts of the economy, uh, parts of the global economy. So, uh, for example, if you look at, um, you know, start of March to last week, you'd find that um, postings in Germany are down 18%. Um, job posting activity in the U.S. is down 27%. And job posting activity in the U.K. is down 54%. Um, so, um, so, no, you didn't imagine it um, when... You saw all of a sudden uh, that uh, a lot of hiring seemed to to dry up. Now it varies a lot, as um, as you can imagine, by uh, not just by by country, but uh, by where you are within the country. So, for example, um, uh, uh, in the UK, um, it's not great to be in Leicester right now. Uh, Liverpool is doing a lot better, and London somewhere in between. Um, also, it depends a lot on on sectors. So. Um, you would find, uh, not surprisingly, um, in in the UK, arts, uh, arts and recreation, arts and entertainment, I think, is um, has been particularly brutally hit. Uh, accommodation and food, particularly brutally hit, for all the reasons we all know. Um, and on the other side, um, as you can imagine, 
um, sort of public sector or public sector supported um, industries have been sort of chugging along, you know, not really dependent on the economy necessarily to, so uh, for their survival. So human health and social work um, has been fairly buoyant. Um, ICT has been um, hit, but not nearly as bad as some of the other parts of the economy. And from the data, are you able to make any um, assumptions or trends where where the economy or which parts of the economy, even 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 slightly more macro down to kind of locations, which are going to come out of this well or which aren't? Yeah. So um, here's the interesting thing uh, um, about this. I think you know I. I Part of this will be, I think there's a couple of things that are going to drive um, where you're going to see resilience. Um, first of all, I think, you know, you have to think about what are the sectors that are most able to benefit from the remote economy. Um, and so one of the things you have to do is think about role by role, how remotable is the role and what sectors um, are least dependent on in-person kind of uh, uh, hiring, because I think the, sec- the shifts that we're seeing right now are not um, are not uh, are not ones that are just going to go back to normal. Um, all the uh, the people in the city, for example, who are now working from home, um, at some point they're going to realize, and the longer this goes on, I think the more likely they are to realize. Well, why do I? I need to go back to getting on the tube every day and going to the city. Um, and so if you're press and you're selling sandwiches to people who used to work in the city, um, uh, you know, this is probably not a, um, not a great thing for your future. Hmm. Um, overall, we're looking right now at four key secular trends, um, which we think are going to be key to the post-COVID economy. Um, one we call um, the... Uh, the uh, the readiness economy, another we call the remote economy, a third we call um, the diversified economy. And by the way, I'll, uh, I'll buy a pint for anybody who can think of a better name for it. <laughs> I'll explain what it is in a minute. Um, and uh, the final is the, the automated economy. Um, I'll give you an example, talk about the readiness economy. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good thought exercise. Um, but, the author Thomas Friedman uh, from the New York Times says that COVID-19 is not a black swan event. It's uh, actually a black elephant event. Um, it was always uh, the elephant in the room that nobody was paying attention to. Um, okay, well, now we're paying attention. Uh, <laughs> okay, you got our attention. Um, how is that going to change um, the behavior of, uh, of companies, of governments going forward? We're talking now actually not just about readiness for another pandemic, um, but really all sorts of eventualities that nobody's been paying attention to, uh, whether that be um, other kinds of health emergencies, whether that be physical infrastructure failures, whether that be cyber attacks, whether that be, um, uh, um, yeah, whether that be um, uh, environmental disaster. Um, oh, sort of think about that from a... Um, now sort of step back for a moment and say, okay, wait, if that's, uh, if we think that there's going to be a lot more focus on cybersecurity going forward, or there's going to be more focus on physical infrastructure going forward, more, a lot more emphasis on biotech or green tech, what are the jobs and skills that are going to be required? Um, if you're 
whether you're a company, whether you're a recruiter for a company or a recruiter for, for, um, for consultancy, now is the time to be thinking about what's the pipeline that's going to be needed to support those kinds of jobs. So you want to go through the thought exercise saying, okay, what are the jobs? And then what are the, uh, uh, what are the, the kind of um, uh, skills you're going to be needed and where can I find those today? Um, it all sounds quite pessimistic. <laughs> it's, to be honest, isn't it? It's kind of like the readiness economy is about what, what, some, what, what, what is going to be thrown at us, basically, and we have to defend ourselves against, isn't it? It, it, it is, in a sense. On the other hand, um, it's driven from a belief that um, you can defend yourself if you've, got, if you've been proactive um, and um, thought about the, the kind of talent infrastructure that you need. We all think about physical infrastructure and physical barriers and masks and personal protective equipment and the like. Um, the real question is, what are the skills that drive that economy? Um, you can talk all about um, cybersecurity technologies that your company is going to protect to defend the data and its database and all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, who are the people who are going to be needed? Um, and, um, and those things are changing. This is another example of how um, it's skills, not jobs. Mm. Uh, if you were to think about um, the, um, you know, kind of, if you look at what are the fastest growing sets of um, cyber skills, and cybersecurity is a great example, right? Because as is for any of you all who are um, trying to find cybersecurity talent, you know that you can't. Um, even now, it's really hard. Um, and yet, we also know that it's likely to grow um, through this readiness economy. But, but to the point about skills, not jobs, if you would look at the cybersecurity skills that are most in demand today, and then look at the ones that are fastest growing, ones that, what are the ones that are storming onto the scene? Um, they're actually different. Um, the ones that are storming onto the scene are less about protecting networks, um, the traditional definition of cybersecurity, and more about protecting the cloud, uh, cloud infrastructure and the like, um, IoT, network security, all these sorts of things. Um, which makes tons of sense, right? Data are moving to the cloud. Yeah. So how we, you know, our thoughts about where we need to put our protective uh, uh, lens and moving to the cloud. But that says um, sets of skills that right now are a relatively small percentage of your hiring are going to become a lot bigger. Again, you need to be able to be thinking ahead. And, and for those are, and this is why it may be optimistic, I think for those who are thinking ahead, building that pipeline now, they'll be in a pretty good place. Um, there's one thing I kind of, there's another kind of, uh, point, I, I, which is kind of post COVID for us, which, um, again, is the elephant in the room that, that us in the UK haven't really kind of dealt with yet, which is, uh, which is Brexit, um, which we've got, we've partly gone through, but we're kind of, kind of careering towards at the end of the year. Is there anything in the data or anything that you've kind of spotted in, in, in any of your trending that, um, can give us any kind of like glimmer of hope or or <laughs> or anything that can kind of say where the job where the kind of the, the skills market might be kind of placed kind of kind of post post our, our kind of so, um, first an, an amusing note which is which is certainly anything but hope but but hell um and then and then a hope a glimmer of hope which i think may be more than a glimmer so, so um, this is uh, something which I haven't actually tracked it um, over the last several months. Um, but at the dawn of Brexit, um, there was, um, we, we saw in our data a significant spike in demand for, for lawyers. Um, 
<laughs> of course, of course you did. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. Um, but here's where I think there's, um, there's significant hope. I know there's a, a lot of concern um, that jobs will flee the, flee the city. Um, uh, the Dutch are making a big play to move banking jobs to Amsterdam, Germans likewise to Frankfurt, mm-hmm. um, the French to Paris. Um, that one I'm a little less uh, concerned about. Um, but, you know, here's what we know about uh, talent markets. Talent markets, not surprisingly, are moved by talent. Um, and so the real question is, notwithstanding changes to the regulatory landscape, where's the talent that you need? Um, to be a banking hub. If you've got that talent, um, then it, it's, um, that's pretty sticky. It's hard for, um, uh, for, for banks to pick up, as an example, um, and move somewhere else, both because of the people they already have working for them, but also because if you don't have a critical mass of talent in Frankfurt, um, then it's hard to pick up and, and assume that you're going to follow. Um, we know in, the global, in a global economy, Jobs follow people um, more than the other way around. Uh, and uh, we know that um, the British economy continues to have um, a very strong talent base. Um, and I think that's going to be, and, and you know, certainly um, a lead in, in certain kinds of talent in, in um, both uh, greater Europe, I won't say the EU, um, and, uh, and globally. And, and I think that's going to continue to be a dynamo for the British economy. Uh, I'm sure there's quite a lot of listeners are quite thankful for that. <laughs> um, and so my final question, my final question for, uh, before we kind of close up, uh, Matt, is if, you, if, if you're a student now or if you're going to become a student going to university uh, in the next kind of couple of years, where, where would you, what would you, what skills would you be trying to pick up? What would you be studying to kind of future proof yourself? So I, I think there's um, two broad sets of skills that, uh, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to make it three. Maybe by the time I finish speaking, it'll be four or five. But, but let's, let's run with three that I think um, students should be really focused on today. Um, certainly, digital and data skills um, are um, really, really important, um, regardless of whether you're going to go into a job in ICT. Um, there's a common view that, hey, if I'm not going into tech, I don't need uh, to know how to code. I don't need to know how to manipulate data if I'm not going to become a data scientist. Um, but it actually turns out that those kinds of um, data and digital skills are cross-pollinating or hybridizing, as we like to call, um, a broad range of jobs. Think again about those marketing managers who suddenly need SQL skills. So no matter what you're going to do, um, you're going to need um, the tech skills to be able to drive technology as opposed to be driven by it. Um, second, um, you need business skills. Um, one of the things that we found recently looked across the market at what are the sets of skills that are needed in broad swaths of the economy, broad swaths of different kinds of jobs. And we found there are sets of business skills, skills like project management, um, which so many different kinds of jobs that you're going to need, that you're going to want to graduate into out of uni um, all require. And um, you need to be able to um, have those kinds of business skills. So it doesn't matter if you're an art student, um, you need to learn project management. You need to learn uh, various communication skills. You need to be able to visualize data, a range of things like that. Um, And then finally, and this one's really important, um, perhaps most important of all, um, you need to be able to uh, hone your human skills. 
it would be easy based on what I said at the start of this to say, okay, well, I better make sure I, uh, I'm, I'm majoring in, in computer science. Uh, I'm building or an, en- an engineering field. I'm building out those uh, STEM skills that are so valuable, that are so sought after. Um, but the fascinating thing about it is that the further north you get in your, um, in, in your career, the more relative value employers place on human skills. Um, and in fact, when we looked at the jobs that are most tech-enabled, most data-driven, we call them the most hybridized jobs, the jobs that are sort of blending tech and, and other kinds of skills the most, they are dramatically more likely than other kinds of jobs to require creativity skills, about three times as likely. Um, they're about twice as likely to require communication skills. They're about 50% more likely to require writing and research skills and the like. Um, and again, the more, and then from there, the further north you go, um, the more relative value employers place. You think about human skills as foundational skills, people like to call them. Um, and I often think about one of these sort of food pyramids when I think about things that are foundational. Um, with the, you know, so the carbs are at the bottom, that's the foundation. And then, you know, the important stuff, the proteins at the top. Um, it actually turns out that careers work exactly opposite of that. Um, the further north you go, the more the foundational skills count. Um, so that means that you need, to, um, you need to actually have a balanced diet. You need to make sure that um, you're studying the, the ICT skills that are going to get you your first job. But it means you need to be developing the human skills, studying the arts or, or whatever it may be that's, that's building them. It's building your writing and your communication um, and your creativity skills. They're going to get you your 10th job. Um, Matt, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and I don't know where that leaves me for my, where's my, as my career goes, and I'm possibly south, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, Matt, thank you very much for joining today. That was absolutely fascinating. And I'm sure our listeners will, um, will uh, kind of find it just as fascinating too. So thank you very much. James, really enjoyed this. You've been listening to the Marketing Rules Podcast from Think in Circles. Available on all major podcasting platforms, including Apple and Spotify. Just search the Marketing Rules Podcast or visit www.themarketingrules.com. To work with James or Think in Circles, visit www.thinkincircles.com. The Marketing Rules Podcast is a Thinking Circles production.